In the last few weeks, we've been considering St. Paul's appreciation of the mystery of the rejection of the Messiah by the Jews and the resulting proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles who received the teaching of the apostles with great joy, as we constantly read in the Acts of the Apostles. And we may wonder why some appear to be predestined to receive and accept the gift of faith, while others may not be so. And in the face of this mystery, St. Paul reminds us of the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, whose ways are unsearchable. There are times when we must bow down humbly and acknowledge that no one has known the mind of the Lord. No one has been the Lord's counselor. The Lord is infinitely wise. He does not need our advice. And St. Paul finishes up this chapter 11 of his letter to the Romans with a doxology, a sentence of praise. From, From him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And this surely reminds us of the doxology that concludes the Eucharistic prayer at every Mass, referring to Jesus the Christ. Through him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. Amen. All glory and honor are due to God the Father, but through and in the Son, who is the only way to the Father. And the conclusion of the Roman canon the first Eucharistic prayer, expresses the church's belief that all good things come to us from the Son and that they are sanctified, vivified, blessed, and bestowed upon us through Christ the Lord. Nothing good comes to us except through Jesus Christ. He is the source of all good things. And we are not only blessed with the knowledge of this fact, But we are set apart from other human beings as recipients of gifts here on earth that others do not receive. Gifts that communicate sanctifying grace, life in Christ. We are privileged. Don't anyone think they're special? But we are very much, we are greatly privileged. The sacrament of baptism sets us apart imprints a character on our souls that makes us children of God in a way that the non-baptized are not. And over the last few weeks, I've had the joy of baptizing and anointing with holy chrism a number of infants, and including some adults, expressing the fact that they are configured configured to Jesus Christ as priest, prophet, and king. The non-baptized lack this privilege. Did you, did I, did those new Christians merit this setting apart, this privilege? No, it was pure gift. We are confronted with the divine mystery of election, the divine election, how he chooses people. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are invited, but as we all know, most decline the invitation to faith. And many who received the anointing turn away from it later in life. But by God's mercy, you and I are here. And by his mercy too, those who have uh, departed can return as well. This election, however, 
places on our shoulders a responsibility, for together with the anointing, we have been entrusted with the great gift of our faith, which we are to receive and transmit inviolate, unadulterated. It's something we receive, we nurture, and we pass on without changing it. And we know that St. Paul, whose eloquent letters we read so often at Mass, was martyred by beheading for the gospel. He so desperately wanted his own kindred, the Jewish people, to receive. And this week on Tuesday, we will celebrate another beheading. Always good for a morale, isn't it? That of St. John the Baptist. It's his feast coming up, his martyrdom. And last week, on August 24th, we celebrated a flaying. St. Bartholomew was flayed alive by the Armenians or by the king's son. And on August 10th, we celebrated the grilling alive of a deacon, St. Lawrence, who apparently quipped when he was being grilled on one side, he said, I'm done on that side, now you can turn me over. You see, it's good for morale, folks. I don't know why we get them in August, a really hot month here. All right. And we celebrate their feasts. You can have a glass of wine or a beer or whatever, however you celebrate feasts. You can celebrate these feasts of these great martyrdoms. So this beheading of John the Baptist, the voice who cried in the wilderness, who dressed in a, ridic in a ridiculous garment of camel's hair, who ate locusts and wild honey, but who spoke the truth to King Herod for taking his brother Philip's wife, who was executed in a miserable prison cell at the instigation of a jealous woman who exploited her innocent daughter by asking her to request the Baptist's head on a platter. Can you imagine the trauma that young girl must have suffered later in life as a result of her mother's wickedness? St. Paul, St. John the Baptist, all the martyrs remind us that truth is of even greater value than life itself. Simon Peter, a man of great weakness who failed to trust the Lord when commanded to come towards him on the water, who would deny our Lord three times, did not merit to be set apart from the other apostles. Yet he was the one chosen to receive and announce the revelation from the Father that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was the one whom the Lord called Rock, the rock upon which he would build his church and to whom he entrusted the keys of the kingdom of heaven. As the Catechism teaches, the power of the keys designates authority to govern the house of God, which is the church. The power to bind and loose connotes the authority to absolve sins, to pronounce doctrinal judgments, and to make disciplinary decisions in the church. Jesus entrusted this authority to the church through the ministry of the apostles, and in particular through the ministry of Peter, the only one to whom he specifically entrusted the keys of the kingdom. So it's Article 553 from the Catechism. But we know that this power is not limitless. It cannot be exercised arbitrarily. While the holder of the keys can make doctrinal pronouncements, he cannot create the truth. He does not get to decide what is true. He cannot, he cannot declare to be true what is false. He simply declares a truth that is true. Rather, 
we read in another in the article 552 of the catechism his unique mission and that of his referring to peter and that of his successors the popes will be to keep this faith from every lapse and strengthen his brothers in it to keep the faith from every lapse to avoid any weakening of this faith or dilution of the faith but to strengthen it in a sense, in other words, this faith should be strengthened as it's passed from generation to generation, not weakened. As St. Jerome comments, this power does not grant the holder a license to condemn the innocents or absolve the guilty. So even the Pope's judgments do not ultimately bind God, who will judge a man not according to the sentence passed against him by the Church, but by his life. And in the same way, no power on earth, not even that of Peter, can declare to be true what is false. And we will hear next week what happened when Peter got above himself and exceeded his authority. The anointing we have received bestows upon us a special duty to know well our faith, because we have all been anointed as prophets, as teachers, especially in the face of the challenges that come to it from the world in which we live. But even today, it has to be said, from within the church. All of us have a duty to inform ourselves and to drink from the deep well of the church's tradition, from what St. Paul describes as the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. And these are not inaccessible to us, for Jesus told us that he has made known to us all that has been given to him by the Father. Thus may we resist modern redefinitions of the perennial teachings of the church. As Jesus told Simon Peter in today's gospel, even if hell and all its armies is engaged in a full-scale battle against the church, and even if hell has infiltrated her with its agents, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So let us keep the faith, be steadfast in prayer, and joyful in hope.